Mysterious Circumstances is an American Crimecast production. Remember, everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Hey everybody, it's Justin, back with another episode, another short episode, of Mysterious Circumstances. I have not completed uh, my research for my next full-length episode, so I'm doing this one to just kind of hold everybody over for a little bit. Um, I'm a one-man crew here, so it takes me a little bit of time to do a lot of research for my for my full episodes. So, this one uh, comes from the World of List verse again, and it's actually ten... 10 uh, things that school did not teach you about the disappearance of Amelia Earhart. Uh, this mystery has always really intrigued me. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's intrigued about anybody who's actually gotten into it. Lots of theories surrounding this mystery, which there should be. But uh, we're going to go ahead and get her started. Amelia Earhart's uh, disappearance has always been presented as just a crazy mystery. Uh, especially to younger kids uh, we were told about this about the woman who who disappeared somewhere in the pacific we don't know what happened to her and we probably never will but what about the evidence that we already do have um we actually this is number 10 and we actually know where she disappeared um when mentioning amelia Earhart's final flight nobody seems to point out exactly where she vanished over the pacific uh, it's a bit strange that her approximate location is no longer common knowledge, especially considering how closely her entire expedition was actually monitored. Uh, Earhart disappeared during a really particularly challenging leg of her journey, having departed from New Guinea on July 2nd, 1937 in, in her uh, Lockheed Electra. She was aiming for Howland Island. The trip should have taken about 18 hours. Howland Island is halfway between Hawaii and Australia, and it is ridiculously a small target for anybody trying to cross the entire Pacific. The whole island is roughly two miles long, or if you're in Europe, about three kilometers. Now, although there are several larger islands in the general area, Howland was chosen because it was declared a territory of the United States in about 1856. Uh, the U.S. had no claim to the more sensible sized islands nearby and many of them were inhabited or entirely unclaimed so it's basically trying to find a needle in a haystack when there's actually bigger targets surrounding it that the US had no claim of uh, number nine is that Amelia had lots and lots of help uh, Fred Noonan was the navigator who joined Earhart on the flight because the target was so small and this particular leg of the journey was so perilous. Fred seems to be unfairly neglected when we discuss Earhart today. It's a shame because the man was only recently married when he joined Earhart's cause. Apparently he flew with Earhart for much of the trip around the world and his abilities were praised for leading them to several for leading there to several precise landings. 
Okay, there's a lot of rumors that Fred Noonan was a heavy drinker. Um, you know, that's neither here nor there. Whether he was drinking on this flight, I would personally assume that he wasn't. Uh, it wouldn't make much sense, but you never know. When a guy needs a drink, he needs a drink. So, you know, it's whatever. He was not behind the wheel, so it didn't matter. <laughs> anyway... Uh, he would have been crucial to finding Howland Island, so it's possible that a mistake on his part may be one factor in their disappearance. In addition to Noonan, Earhart received navigational help from the USCGC Itasca, which was stationed at Howland Island. The ship received a message from Earhart when she departed from New Guinea and maintained contact with her from then on. Number eight is we actually had contact until the end. There was no ominous radio silence as Earhart's estimated arrival time approached. The Itasca was supposed to get routine transmission from Earhart and track her progress as she drew near. In fact, much of the flight seemed to go without issue. Um, Earhart's Lockheed Electra had suffered some problems during earlier legs of the journey, but the plane had been repaired and tested. Since then, it had been running uh, very smoothly. So some people have speculated that cloudy skies were giving Fred Noonan a difficult time with navigation, but no research has really verified that. It's also possible that the weather report given to Earhart and the same report that was used to adjust her flight plan may not match up with the reports collected after her departure or with our current records and at some point Earhart's radio did go out uh, the Itasca was uh, had to switch to Morse code for its last transmissions okay number seven on our list is the last transmission now during her last transmission Earhart reported that Noonan had calculated that they were in the right area she indicated that the Electra was low on fuel but this could be a relative statement although she didn't give a specific number the Electra originally set out with enough fuel for almost 30 hours of flight Earhart also said that she was flying quite low possibly for visibility at about 300 meters which is about a thousand feet in the air for comparison, commercial planes currently fly at about 11,000 meters, which is about 35,000 feet. She relayed the navigation line on which they were traveling and said that they should be within sight of the ship. A later analysis of the strength and frequency of the radio transmission suggests that she may have only been about 60 miles or 100 kilometers away from her mark when the last transmission was received, which... If that is true, that is extremely sad because she was extremely close. Now, since Earhart claimed they were close, the Itasca uh, hoped to lead her in by sending up smoke signals, but Earhart never gave any indication that she could see any smoke, and the Itasca crew never saw the Electra. Now, number six on our list here is the vanishing Electra. Now, although the, the methods of searching were more uh, rudimentary in the 30s, you know, not as much technology, not as much, you know, pretty much anything, uh, the U.S. spared no expense in trying to find her. A series of distress calls were heard for days after her disappearance, so the nearby islands were the first to be searched. 
The Electra wouldn't have been able to transmit distress signals if it had been submerged, so many people expected the Electra to be floating in the water. Now, searches were mostly conducted by ships sailing all around the area. Uh, planes also flew overhead and tried to spot the Electra. Despite having so many people hunting, the rescue, the rescue teams never spotted the aircraft. Now, at the time, the prevailing theory was that a reef just off Gardner Island could have, be, could have easily provided landing space for the Electra at low tide. Now, during high tide, she would... It, she would be hard to see from above, but at the next low tide, she would be able to send distress signals again. In fact, uh, shortly before Earhart's flight, a crew on another airplane had gone down under eerily similar circumstances in the same area and landed on a reef. Which is just, that's a, it's a pretty strange coincidence right there, but it does happen. Now, number five on the list, talking about Gardner Island, is actually Gardner Island. Now, Gardner Island is known as uh, Nukemoro today. is a little more than about 300 miles or 500 kilometers away from Howland Island and is twice the size. Not only would it have been easier to spot, but it's also hard, part of the same group of islands as Howland. The Phoenix Islands consist of roughly eight islands and a couple of coral reefs. Howland Island is one of the northernmost in the group. Um, if Earhart's course had veered just a little south of the planned route, she, she would have found herself in any of the eight islands in the cluster. But oddly enough, only one of the ships in Earhart's search party ventured toward Gardner Island, and the majority focused on the water directly around Howland Island. The Gardner Island was inhabited at the time and wasn't colonized until about the 1940s. So at the time, a skeleton was found there as well as a uh, sexton box that might have belonged to a certain celestial navigator, which Fred Noonan actually was a celestial navigator. And uh, it's a actually pretty interesting craft. It's when you can't use re your regular navigation and you actually navigate by using the stars and the constellations there were not many people that could uh, do that very accurately and Fred Noonan was one of the few people that could uh, number four on our list here is the missing skeleton when the British made one last attempt to colonize or uh, at colonization they pushed it into Gardner Island in the 1940s a skeleton was brought to Gardner or Gerald Gallagher, the man in charge at the time. Uh, Earhart's disappearance was still revel relatively recent back then. Gallagher realized that the skeleton might be hers, so he had it packed up and sent to Fiji for examination. Now, upon inspection, the, the skeleton was declared to be a male. Following the examination, the skeleton vanished. Uh, luckily, the examiner had made detailed records for the of the bones, apparently including measurements and sketches. A forensic anthropologist reviewed the records in the 1990s. Now, cautiously using his measurements, they entered the information into Fordisk, which is a modern software that estimates age, ancestry, and sex of a large database of samples. In the end, the anthropologist said that the original examiner was quite mistaken, these were bones of a female of European descent. 
So, how many other white females do we know who vanished in this area? It's a very good question. Very intriguing question. Now, number three on the list is Tigar Expeditions and Artifacts. And Tigar is T-I-G-H-A-R. Um, it's, it's an acronym for the, the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery. Uh, it's a large team of highly educated people, including anthropologists, and the Earhart Project is one of their ventures, and this is still going on today, as a matter of fact. They've been leading expeditions to Gardner Island for more than 20 years, including one in 2015. Now, from this, they have amassed a significant number of artifacts, all suspiciously dated from the 1930s. They've been leading expeditions to Gardner Island... Er, sorry about that. Rereading the paragraph. Um, a woman's shoe, an aluminum airplane panel, and a flight suit zipper have all been linked to Earhart's time and style. They even found a plexiglass panel that is the exact shape of the Electra's windshield. Now, the archaeological site contained improvised tools and cooked animal remains suggesting that someone such as Earhart had landed safely and used resources at her disposal to subsist for a while as she waited for rescue. Tiger keeps extensive and fascinating public records for every expedition including every aircraft, radio log, and analysis related to their research. So, if anybody was actually interested enough, they, you can get on a website and check out all their data. It's actually extremely interesting. Now, number two on our list here is DNA. Now, although Tiger seems to be constantly uncovering new items that link the Gardner Archaeological Site to Amelia Earhart, everything is considered to be circumstantial evidence because the modern world demands DNA evidence. Crime shows have caused the public to vastly overestimate the capabilities of forensic science. We can locate all the 1930s bits and pieces at the Gardner Island site, but the case won't be closed until DNA testing becomes sophisticated enough to prove that Amelia Earhart was actually there. At the moment, Tiger only has a few bone fragments. So with fragments this small, a visual analysis isn't able to distinguish animal from human bone. Now, although DNA testing uh, could potentially clear that up, there's also a high chance that the results will be inconclusive. DM DNA tests aren't as infallible as TV shows lead us to believe. The bone fragment submitted for testing will be destroyed in the process, so we could lose the future possibility of determining whether the fragment is from Amelia Earhart. That's why Tiger is holding off on testing the new fragments, that that they have, uh, they want to save them until improved testing methods are developed in the future. This would not be a problem if we still had the original Gardner Island skeleton, which is still missing. Now, this is probably one of... This is my favorite one on the list just because it is pretty much a conspiracy theory, but it's actually very plausible and... It's extremely, it's extremely interesting. Now, number one on our list here is 
the conspiracies, okay? Now, without indisputable DNA proof to support the most logical theory, some crazy alternatives have popped up. Some people think that Earhart just crashed and died. Others believe that she was captured by the Japanese. Me, personally, I I do believe that she landed in, in, in Saipan, was captured by the Japanese, eventually executed, along with Noonan. There's actually, if you do enough research, there's actually a lot of eyewitness accounts of a white woman and a white man fitting their description on that island who were executed right before it was liberated by the Allied forces. Um, and her crash could have been an elaborate plan to get captured and subsequently spy on the Japanese. However, the best theory is an idea that gained frightening popularity for the time. This one is definitely pretty far out there but one woman in new jersey had was singled out and accused of being amelia Earhart. now according to this conspiracy theory Earhart had been secretly living under a new name and had taken a new job the name is irene bolum the accused woman who does not have even a vague resemblance of the lost aviator amelia so when amelia Earhart lives or when Amelia Earhart lives came out in, in 1970 it accused Bolum of being the lost pilot uh, she was hounded so much that she actually sued the book's publisher but nevertheless the allegations continued her life's details were scrutinized until public records proved that she was not Amelia Earhart now if you actually are interested enough there's a few podcasts um there's one actually called astounding legends who i think they do like a four hour podcast it's a two-part podcast each two hours long they dig really deep into this and if you're into this i highly suggest it. it's a really good podcast and it's extremely interesting but the theories and accounts of them being captured by the Japanese actually hold a lot of ground and that doesn't actually just include Japanese that actually includes a lot of American soldiers that were there after it was liberated uh, it's very very and I'll say it again it's very interesting so if you have some time you know a few hours to kill or whatever that that'll hold you over and you you will not look at this mystery the same way again but that being said sorry it's another short episode but i had to get something out there and this was this was a mystery that has always intrigued me and this is some of the stuff that they usually don't don't say so hope you guys enjoyed it and uh look forward to giving another full-length podcast here in the very very near future within the next few days i would imagine uh, but until then, I'll see you guys on the flip side.